Hey folks, welcome to episode 120 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So this week we will do our usual roundup of security fixes that have gone into Ubuntu in the past week. Uh, and I thought it would be interesting to try to look at uh, what sort of vulnerabilities get media coverage. And that's in light of a bunch of media reporting that I saw last week around this Polkit bug that I talked about actually in last week's episode. Uh, but yeah, let's just get into the roundup of fixes from the past week. There were 49 Unix CVEs that were addressed by the team. And up first was an update for RPC bind in our extended security maintenance releases. That's 1404 and 1604 extended security maintenance. I actually talked about this uh, back in last week's episode where we released uh, the same update for our 1804 long-term support release. This was an issue in RPC bind where a memory leak could be created through crafted requests to it. So a remote attacker could cause it to crash. And we've now released that fix for our extended security maintenance releases as well. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we found soon after that, that those fixes were incomplete. They in themselves were missing some other patches from the upstream fix that then resulted in us uh, crashing under some other scenarios. So we did release uh, some extra updates to sort those out. So they have all now been uh, stabilized for a 14.04, 16.04 extended security maintenance and 18.04 long-term support respectively. After that was an update again for our extended security maintenance releases for libwebp. I talked about this actually back in episode 118, two weeks ago for our later releases. But yeah, now our extended security maintenance customers also have those fixes. After this was an update for Exif tool. This is for the 18.04, 20.04 long-term support releases respectively and the 20.10 and 21.04 releases. This was a single CVE that actually was reported to GitLab uh, through HackerOne. So GitLab uh, are on HackerOne. They have their kind of bug bounty program there. So if you are interested in participating in that, yeah, go check out HackerOne, but uh, I digress. So they had an issue reported to them where uh, someone could essentially get remote code execution through GitLab uh, via Exif tool. So you can upload images to GitLab and it will then go and uh, strip off the metadata from those and it uses Exif tool to do that. And it was found that uh, for one of the certain file formats, uh, it's the deja vu format, they could get uh, remote code execution by uh, uh, putting some crafted content in there because basically uh, this deja vu interpreter in Exif tool was written in Perl and it would go and eval certain <laughs> constructs from the file. Uh, it would try to uh, validate those and make sure that they were safe beforehand but uh, this reporter found a way to get around that so they could get a remote code execution as exif tool and because that was being executed by GitLab you essentially get remote code execution in your GitLab instance. So GitLab coordinated with uh, Exif Tool Upstream. Uh, we've now released the update for this. Uh, so yeah, if you are using Exif Tool uh, in any kind of in circumstance, you are now a fair bit safer. So yeah, thanks for GitLab for coordinating on that one. After that was an update for ImageMagic. Uh, 34 CVEs were rolled into this, again, for our 18.04 long-term support and later releases. Uh, it looks like about every 30 weeks, actually, we cover another uh, Image Magic update on this podcast. And so, you know, it's that time of year again. Uh, as I say, yeah, a huge number of fixes were rolled into this. Uh, these were the like, uh, usual sorts of suspects, you know, causing things like denial of service or remote code execution. Again, a bit like Exif tool, actually, Image Magic is often used, uh, you know, behind the scenes for various uh, web applications and all that kind of thing to do you know, image handling. So if you are deploying Image Magic like that on untrusted content, again, you are a bit safer now too. After that was an update for Bluesy. Actually, this was the last one for the week. So three CVEs were rolled into this. And again, for our 1804 long-term support and later releases. 
One of these was an issue in the core Bluetooth specification itself, uh, which could result in uh, someone nearby you being able to interpose on the pairing process between you know, yourself and another device. They could then cause you to then you know, pair with them instead effectively and you know, take over that pairing process. So that was fixed in Blue Zebra. So that was actually an issue in the Bluetooth spec. Plus two actual logic issues in Blue Z itself. Uh, one was a double freeze that could trigger obviously use after free and memory corruption. So you could potentially get code execution through that as a remote attacker. And another one was an out of bounds read. So likely to cause a denial of service against Blue Z with that one. And that's it for this week in security updates. So as I said at the start, the other thing I did want to talk about this week was uh, kind of how vulnerabilities get covered in the media. And I thought it'd be interesting to kind of look at uh, one that was actually done last week that did get a fair bit of coverage. Uh, and this was an issue in Polkit. So yeah, I talked about this back in last week's episode and actually the day after I published that by chance, uh, GitHub, who, or Kevin Backhouse uh, from there, who discovered this issue, published a blog post that went into a fair bit of detail on the vulnerability. Uh, I've got a link to that in the show notes if you want to read it. Uh, but I was then sort of very uh, intrigued to see that there were a huge number of um, media reports in a huge number of reports in the media about this vulnerability not long after Kevin published that blog post. And I kind of thought, well, obviously this has been triggered by the blog post. You know, that's why we've now seen a bunch of reporting on it. But we do, uh, you know, there are all kinds of vulnerabilities that get written up in blog posts and things like that that don't get much media coverage. And I kind of thought it'd be interesting to look at this and sort of see why. So uh, as I said, this one was, was written up on GitHub. So it's coming from a trusted source and you know, it was a very good uh, detailed technical write-up. But we do see these kind of things. You know, lots of people publish blog posts of the vulnerabilities they find with lots of technical detail and they don't necessarily all get covered. Uh, but in this case, it was very well written. Uh, it kind of you know, gives you a good high-level understanding of the issue and then dives into a fair bit of detail. However, unlike uh, a lot of other vulnerabilities, this is quite uh, more simple to understand. In this case, there was a, a simple logic error uh, in the code that could be triggered via a race condition. And because it's in uh, Polkit or PolicyKit as it used to be called, uh, this privileged daemon that is you know, act doing authorization on behalf of you, you, know, you can then understand how that can result in uh, privilege escalation quite easily. And also in this case, the proof of concept for this was a single uh, bash, a uh, single one line of bash that you know you could uh, quite easily understand what was going on there. So uh, yeah, again, something quite uh, easy for anyone you know who may not have a strong technical background, but that is you know covering Linux news or Linux security could write up. And I guess I kind of contrast this to uh, lots of other vulnerabilities that we see, which are things like uh, memory corruption and the like. And so to understand those sorts of things, you know, you, you can kind of understand uh, that a, a user after free or you know out of bounds read or write can give you memory corruption, but it's not necessarily easy then to figure out well how does that result in code execution as a result. You know to really understand that you need to understand the internals of how memory management is done. You know concepts like heap grooming and the like, uh, all kinds of stuff. And so uh, yeah, that this one in contrast was a lot easier to understand how you actually get privilege escalation as a result. Uh, so yeah, if you obviously in this case, you know, if you want to get media coverage for your vulnerability, you could follow this route. You obviously find a nice simple bug in a privilege component write it up well with a simple proof of concept and off you go uh, and actually publish it on GitHub if you can. <laughs> or you can take the other route that we so often see, which is give it a cool name and a logo. So I guess one of the first ones I recall seeing do this was Heartbleed. Uh, this was uh, you know, quite a serious bug uh, in OpenSSL and it did get a lot of media coverage, which I think was quite useful at the time. You know, it made lots of people sort of wake up and uh, make sure that they patched uh, their machines to get this. 
uh, uh, but you know, you give it a name and a logo, uh, not only do you get media coverage and people patch it, but you also get some fame and notoriety, which you know, is what some people uh, we know are in uh, the industry for. And since then, we've seen many others. You know, we've seen Shellshock, Stage Fright, Dirty Cow, Spectre, Meltdown, Boot Hole, and a heap more in between. Uh, it is interesting to think that not all of these or not all the vulnerabilities that get cool names and logos are kind of created equal. Some of them, you know, have a high impact. They affect a huge number of machines and, you know, uh, say remote code execution or remote code execution with privilege escalation or all kinds of things like that. And others are not, you know, we see some cool things like um, Rowhammer or uh, Spectre and Meltdown in particular, which are, again, quite detailed or technically detailed vulnerabilities you know they're kind of hardware level things that you need quite a good understanding of memory and cpu architectures and that kind of thing to understand they're not necessarily able to be triggered remotely um, although we actually have seen some research that does show those sorts of things can be but certainly not in the first instance yet they did still get a lot of media coverage i think those ones uh, you know they're quite novel techniques and again being in hardware you know it's a, a new avenue for for research we haven't seen a lot of that stuff yet uh, that does seem to be where things are going. So I guess the other way, you know, if you want your media or your vulnerability to get coverage, you know, go go find some vulnerabilities in hardware or in CPU microarchitectures, that kind of thing. Uh, but you know, you need to be very smart and do a lot of research to do that. All right. So uh, yeah, that's that's it for my thoughts on how to get coverage for your vulnerabilities. If you've got thoughts on that though, you can always reach out to the team. You can email us at security@ubuntu.com. We do hang out in the uh, Ubuntu security channel on libera.chat. Uh, we are also on discourse.ubuntu.com and finally we're on Twitter at Ubuntu underscore sec. So thanks everyone for listening again for another week. has been great doing this all again for you. I will be back again next week. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.